following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Matthew 5, 1 through 8. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys doing good? Yeah? Doing okay? Yeah. Oakley doakley. All right, um, my name is Nick Powell, and uh, so for those of you who don't know, I, so I've been here a couple times. I was here, I don't remember when that was. Was it a month ago? A month and a week ago? I don't know. It was a handful of weeks ago that I was here, and I was preaching, and it was, it was fantastic. So I'm just like really grateful to be here to preach the Word of God again. Uh, just a little life update, because uh, I covet your prayers. I want you to be praying for God's will to be done in Clinton, as well as in Moline and the Quad Cities. Uh, we're not that far away. But as Sam said, I'm planting a church in Clinton. Uh, my family and I moved back to my hometown. I'm from Clinton, Iowa. And uh, my whole life, I really just like, didn't like Clinton at all. But as I began to start following Jesus for real, as I understood the gospel, like when Jesus saved me, he created new affections. And part of the thing that he changed in my heart was my outlook on my hometown. I saw a place no longer that I wanted to just run from, but a place that I wanted to go back to to see God's will be done there. And so right now we're in the core team shaping phase. So uh, we're trying to uh, understand our identities in Christ and that we are the church and that we don't just go to church. And then out of that, we seek to embody and practice the way of Jesus. And so right now that's what we're doing. So I'd appreciate your prayers. Um, before I get into the next beatitude, I just want to share a little bit of life update too. Um, last time I was here, uh, it was like a week before uh, I had an accident, and it's really deeply shaped my walk with Jesus ever since, and I think it's timely, so I just want to share this with you. Um, I bought an old house in Clinton. There's a lot of old houses in Clinton, you guys. I mean, there's a lot of old houses in Moline. I was driving through East Moline, and I mean, this is, there's beautiful old houses, but old house in Clinton on this beautiful old street, really uh, close to the oldest part of Clinton. And moving to Clinton for me and my family to plant a church is very, like, it channels something in me. Like, I, I really, there's, there's two types of people in the world. I'm convinced of this. One type of people looks at old houses and they say, that's just a lot of work. I don't want anything to do with that. I want to live my life. Uh, which is totally valid. I totally understand that. Uh, and then there's another type of person that looks at an old house and says, that's a lot of work. I want to do that. 
So I'm the, I'm the second type of person. I see old things and it energizes me. And so uh, we bought this old house and we needed, it needed a lot of work. And my family and I, we were like ready. We were coming to Clinton. Clinton itself is an old house, you know? And so I'm like, let's do this thing. I mean, the gospel shapes not only how we feel about Jesus as Savior, but also Jesus as Lord, and that includes restoration. And so I'm like, man, Clinton, what could be here? What kind of restoration work could God do? So we buy this old house, and I'm also, like, passionate about woodworking. And so I like to, like, use old hand tools and stuff like that. And, and so I'm like, and I also like to lead worship, so I play guitar. So I'm ready to come to Clinton, Iowa, buy an old house, plant a church, and I'm ready to just throw my whole skill set at this endeavor, everything. I'm just, like, ready to go. And uh, I'm working on my house. Second week, we bought the house. And it was this, you know, section of old plaster wall. And I'm patching the wall. And I'm standing like not a very smart person. And I fall, and my arm goes into a window that was right there uh, in this old stairwell. And I, and I fall on a piece of glass, and it cuts my arm all the way through, um, severing two nerves and a bunch of blood vessels and all sorts of stuff. It was terrible. I knew as soon as I fell that it was bad because I could no longer feel my hand. Uh, I still can't really feel my hand, but I, I knew that it was bad. And so I walked out to the front of my house. I was working completely alone. It was the middle of the day. There was nobody around, and I'm bleeding everywhere. And I walk out to the front of the house, and I just yell for help. I'm just yelling, somebody help me. And uh, fortunately, my neighbor is a retired nurse, She's this 60-year-old sweet woman, but she was smoking. I'm never going to rag on anyone for smoking, by the way. <laughs> she was smoking out her window, and she sees me in the front yard, bleeding profusely, yelling for help, and she just got out of the, out of the shower, and uh, she's fully clothed, but she gets her bathrobe tie and a screwdriver, and she puts a tourniquet around my arm. And I'm laying there, laying on my back, and, and she's doing this, and then she's, like, praying over me. And then these, these people from this other side of the street, their kids get their parents, um, and their parents come over, and they're, like, ready to throw me in their vehicle and take me to the hospital. And, and I was just overwhelmed with this sense of, like, neighborliness, um, but I was also overwhelmed with the sense that I was going to die. Like, I legitimately thought I was going to bleed out in the front yard. And I had all these thoughts running through my head, like, man, I just brought my family to this place that they never would have moved to if they weren't married to me, you know? Like, my, my wife never would marry or go to Clinton, Iowa by choice. She's not from there. And so I'm, like, laying there, and, uh, and I just feel this, like, overwhelming sense of, like, need. I, I've never been in a position where I felt like I was going to die before, like, really die. And... Uh, and I just, it, it changed me. It's, it's done something to me. And I still haven't quite processed, like, exactly what God's doing. But one of the things that I feel, like, convinced of is I was so, I was so ready to take the idea of the gospel to Clinton. And I, I think that, you know, God's will for my life was to do this thing. Nothing's changed in that sense. But I had this idea of grace and this idea of the Spirit of God working on people's hearts and changing lives and restoring broken things. And, uh, 
but yet I think there was still some functional, I can wow people with my woodworking, or I could wow people with my physical capabilities, my musicianship, my communication skills. And, and now I can't woodwork. I can't play guitar. Um, I mean, I can still drink coffee and preach, but I can't really type, and so it, I hate to write sermons now because it's just like doing this, and I can't really write with my left hand very well because it's my non-dominant hand. And overall, I've just been like, leaning into the presence of God, being like, I'm so needy. I'm so desperately needy for God's Spirit to blow wind into these sails. And it's exactly what needs to happen in Clinton, Iowa. It's what needs to happen right now for you. Like, it's no different than what was before, but it's so apparent. And so Paul, when Paul writes to the church uh, in in Corinthians, like when he writes to the Corinthian church, one of the things that Paul says over and over again is that he's a weak man. Now, Paul's very gifted. I mean, he, he knew the law. He, he was a good evangelist. He's a good teacher. He's a good shepherd. But Paul consistently came to his people and said, I'm broken and I'm weak. And that actually serves to manifest the power and the presence of Christ. Because he can't just lean on his gifts as a crutch. And so, right now, I know that some of you in this room have experienced the weaknesses that 2020 brings. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. Man, we got, I even heard someone say they got 2020 <laughs> like, like, it's like a term now. Um, but the cool thing is, is that if you get 2020 you're singing a song like Christ Be Magnified, and you're, you're confessing that you want to go into the fire and join Jesus in death, you actually know what that feels like. It's no longer some sort of abstract mental ascent. Oh, yes, Christ, I want to join you in your suffering. But, like, that's deep. That's a deep thing. We're not peddling religious ideas on Sunday morning in a community group and your devotional time. Like, we're, we're talking about the almighty God who promises to meet us. And the only way that he's able to meet us is through Christ crucified. And so we lean into that and we're like desperate for that. So all I'm saying is, is that when you experience suffering and trials and struggle, no matter how small they are, I mean, James says all different types of trials. See that as purifying your joy in Christ. You're leaning into the presence of God and there's a meaningful thing that happens there. So for me, it taught me that the thing, the thing that has to happen for the church to be planted in, in Clinton, Iowa is the same thing that had to happen before I got hurt. But now I'm just more aware of it. The Spirit of God has to bring dead things to life. That's what has to happen. Bare minimum this morning, that's what the Spirit has to do. Like, that's not the thing that we're like, man, I hope that the Spirit breathes life into us. Like, if that doesn't happen, then everything else here doesn't mean anything. So I, I just, I want you to join with me. Right now I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to, I promise I'm going to jump into Matthew 5, but I just want us to lean into that. Join me in prayer as we long for the presence of God. Heavenly Father, I don't want to just be saying words behind this old wooden lectern. God, I want there to be genuine life that comes into this place through your spirit. We need your word to meet us through Christ. 
We need the Word made flesh, crucified for our sins, and now living in each one of us through your Spirit, God. We need you to be our strength, to be our joy, to be our purity, to provide a place of belonging for us, to strengthen our weak knees and our fickle hearts. We just, maybe for some of us in this room, this is the first time all week we've even thought of this. That we are absolutely dependent on you. So I just pray that your presence would be thick here this morning. That this would be a thin place. That your heavenly realities, the blessedness of being a part of your kingdom would be tangible and palpable for us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm convinced that Matthew 5, 8, I'm convinced that the way you respond to these words of Jesus will set the trajectory for your life. It will set the course. It will shape your emotional health. It will shape your spiritual vitality, your vocation. Every nook and cranny of your life will be transformed after hearing these words of Jesus and responding to them in faith. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And in my experience, when I, when I talk with people and when I, when I just wrestle in my own heart, there's, there's two main responses that I, I see as common as we hear the words of Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's two groups of people. One is the religious do-gooder. Or, or you could say something more uh, neutral. You could say Midwest nice. Or I, I, Iowa nice, but we're in Illinois. Midwest nice. Uh, this person is a, is a pretty good person. Uh, they have a sensitive conscience. They're very in tune with moral right and wrong, their, their behaviors. They notice things. And the word purity for this type of person might trigger the words of grandma who said, don't drink, smoke, chew, or hang with those who do. You guys have heard that, right? The idea is that real Christians live a pure life, and that means you don't do bad things and you don't hang around people that do bad things. The other group hearing this verse is the disillusioned rule breaker. And this group also immediately thinks of moral behavior, but they're quickly crushed by it because they may have grown up with a standard of purity, of morality, maybe something that Grandparents, parents, uncle, aunt, culture, church culture, whatever. Some sort of standard that they've wrestled with and they just, they can't, they can't live it up. They can't live up to it. And so they battle with a deep sense of shame. They know they're not pure. They stop trying to be pure. And they either give over to apathy or they rage against the machine completely. Both of these groups there's a deep response to the idea of purity. But more importantly, there's, there's a sense of belonging that the words of Jesus channel. When you think of purity, the end game is not purity for the sake of purity. The end game is that you can belong to a people, or belong to God, or belong to a movement, whatever. And there's a purity code 
Belonging is what this channels. Uh, about 10 years ago, when I first got saved, I was at college with Sam and some other guys, and uh, I was, uh, sorry, do you ever walk out of this thing? I don't know. I just feel like, sure. Um, if I don't have to be, because I'm kind of tired and I feel like I'm just going to start doing this. Um, about 10 years ago, I, uh, I got saved. I grew up in the church, but I really like understood grace and the gospel in uh, college. Um, and it was like immediately after that, God started to fill me. He filled me with the Holy Spirit. And he changed my affections, changed what I want. I was like this church kid that didn't really want to sing in church. I didn't really want to like do anything um, passionate, anything. I was just really like apathetic and I was really worried about what people thought of me. So God, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to introduce me to a bunch of guys that wanted to start a metal band. I didn't listen to metal at all growing up. Like I was pretty like tame uh, and like straight-laced kid. I didn't listen to metal. So anyways, I got involved with these group of guys that wanted to start a Christian metal band. And that was really wild for me because I came into contact with people that I'd never come into contact before. I got involved into a scene, a subculture of kids and youth that I'd never met before. And one of the things that I found was that metal music and punk music channels something in people. Uh, it, it, it provides a place of belonging to kids that don't have a place of belonging in other areas of their life. It's a subculture. And one of the, there, there's like all different types of styles of punk rock culture, uh, metal culture, whatever. One of them is called straight edge. Some of you may know what being straight edge is, but for those of you who don't, straight edge is like, it's, it's, kinda, it's not like this, but it's, the idea is the same. It's like being vegan. There's, there's a set of behaviors, a way of life, like a, like a code. You don't do certain things. Well, Straight Edge, Straight Edge was birthed in the 80s, and it was a response to the excesses of like the punk rock music culture, where there was a lot of like heavy drug usage, and there was a lot of just like moral licentiousness and excess. And so these kids saw their peers and people they look up to just completely like out of their minds with drugs and whatever else. And so they said, no, not going to do that. Not going to mess my life up like that. And so uh, they would they'd go into these bars and, and like listen to bands play. And the uh, people checking the door, they would put an X on their hand. And it would mark them out as not drinking alcohol. Well, that became a symbol for the subculture that they're, they're marked out as abstaining from alcohol, uh, drugs, smoking, and some promiscuous sex. And there was a band called uh, Minor Threat that is credited with like creating the, the phrase, and I just want to read you a couple lyrics. It says, I'm a person just like you, but I got better things to do than sit around and mess up my head, hang out with the living dead, snort white stuff up my nose, and pass out at the shows. I don't even think about speed. That's just something I don't need. I've got the straight edge. I'm a person just like you, but I've got better things to do than sit around and smoke dope because I know that I can cope, laugh at the thought of eating lewds, laugh at the thought of sniffing glue, always going to keep in touch, never going to use a crutch. I've got the straight edge. So the guys and I in the band, we were not straight edge. We didn't even know what that was. But somebody came up to us when we were at a bar listening to a band 
uh, like I was like sophomore or junior in college, and someone said, because we had marks on our hand that said we weren't drinking, and they said, are you straight edge? And my buddy's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then later on, we realized, no, we're not. We're not straight edge. There's a whole subculture involved in that. Some of it's like, it's like, some of it's like a gang. Um, but we're like, no, we're not that. But what I learned over the years was that this identity gives people a sense of family and a sense of belonging. And many of you in the church, including myself, approach Christianity with a similar sentiment. I don't do those things. You know, I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, I don't go to that place, hang out with those people. And we become marked by what we're not rather than what we are. Some of you have an anti-vision for the Christian life. That vision, you think it brings you freedom, but it actually brings you more slavery. That's the hard, that's the hard thing to realize with this stuff. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you're, I, I maybe you're like me. I'm just going to be totally transparent. Um, I think like a lot of people, especially a lot of guys, uh, I don't want to be like, in some ways I want to be like my dad. But in other ways I don't. And, and the don't part is something that sometimes you latch onto and you just like, I don't want to turn out like this. I don't want to turn out like this. I don't want to turn out like this. And that takes over. Next thing you know, you're not doing things, but you have no idea what to become. No idea. Because you're so driven by what you're not. But the issue is, is that the journey of discipling Jesus, apprenticing the way of Jesus, is a journey of becoming. It's a journey about being transformed into the image of Christ. It's not a journey about deforming out of the image of being a human, right? Like, that's part of that. We're, we're supposed to lay down our sin and lay down the world, but we're for the sake of taking up Christ. So this is super important. So I want to do a little bit more work filling out um, this particular beatitude, put a little more biblical meat on the bones. Um, and I'm not going to re-preach what Sam's already preached, like the context for the Beatitudes. But just as a reminder, the context of this sermon, or the, the Beatitudes here, is within the larger thing of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is at like the early stages of his ministry, so he's still pretty popular. Like people are kind of coming to him and they're like, whoa, what's going on here? Because he seems to be channeling something. Uh, the, the Jews at that time were living in a broken world. They were broken and they were, they were actually like disillusioned quite a bit. Um, and they longed for the glory days. They longed for something that they've heard about in their stories and, and sung in their psalms. And, and they were like, man, this could be great. I want to be restored. I want to be part of a kingdom that is truly living the good life, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, in the Beatitudes, is proclaiming over them, he's declaring over them the blessed life in the kingdom, but also who belongs to this blessed life in the kingdom. So in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, those who belong to this kingdom are pure in heart. They're pure in heart. But then I... I read that and I'm like, but hold on, Jesus. I thought the kingdom was for sinners. Matthew writes in the same 
book about Jesus, he writes in chapter nine that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Came not to call the righteous, but to call the sick and those in need. That his desire is for mercy, not sacrifice. Doesn't that mean that the blessed ones are those who smoke and drink and and chew and hang with those who do? This seems odd. Well, maybe the rule breakers, like, maybe they had a good heart deep down. Like Robin Hood, you know, like he did some bad things, but like he was really a good guy. Matthew 15, though, says that Jesus, uh, Jesus is describing that what comes out of the human heart is unclean. It's fundamentally impure. And the prophet Jeremiah, he says that the heart is, is sick, desperately sick. So nobody has a good heart. How can anyone belong? This is the question that should gnaw at you. How can anyone belong to this blessed kingdom if we know that there are no people with innately pure hearts? The people of Jesus' day would have really, really wanted to know that. Because they would have grown up singing songs like Psalm 24, like we, we, uh, we read that as the call to worship this morning. They would have longed for this king of glory. This psalm is sung to their creator. God himself is the king of glory. And the question is, how do we get inside this place that God is in, this flourishing place where there is the presence of God and the presence of a new kingdom? Psalm 24, three through six says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false? Does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him and seek the face of the God of Jacob. And then it goes on to praise this vision of this king throwing open these ancient doors of Jerusalem and ushering in this new kingdom and bringing heaven to earth. It says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord who's strong and mighty, the Lord who's mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. It's this vision that Jesus is tapping into here in this beatitude. He's, he's already announced that the kingdom is in their midst, and now he's declaring who belongs, and it's the ones that have clean hands. Does that mean that the people don't have clean hands who are stained with wrongdoing? Maybe they, that seems like they don't belong. This is the pure in heart. They're the ones that belong. But what about those that have bad motivations and envy and have pride? They don't get in? Those who belong don't lift up their soul to what is false, to idolatry or false ways of living. But those that do, that follow false ways of living, they, do they not get in? Those who do not swear deceitfully belong, but does that mean that those who, who say false words don't belong? This seems really bad to me. To me, this seems like bad news. Because laying that standard over my life, even now, I don't get in. I'm not pure enough. And my guess is, is that you're not pure enough either. Because in the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing a present reality with future implications. 
This is something we have to see. Blessed are, for they will. Those who truly belong to the kingdom of God are pure in heart and they will see God, but it's clear that no one is pure just in themselves. So how will anyone see God? These are questions like it's good to ask because it forces you to go deeper into what's really going on here. How will anybody be able to enter the place where God is? So here's the thing. If it was up to you to bootstrap your own way of living or to just fight through a purity code that you've manufactured or your dad manufactured or what your church manufactured, if you could just do it, you would do it. But it's not up to you to do it. That's the good news. There's some freedom here. This beatitude might be the sharpest point of all the beatitudes because it brings out one of the sharpest points of the gospel. Jesus is your purity. I know that sounds really simple. Just think about that. Jesus is your purity. And underneath or over top of that is a larger umbrella of Jesus being our righteousness. You've heard that. I'm sure you've heard that. And that righteousness comes to you as a gift of grace. So the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, he says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who, is just, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing, this is blessing language, the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We have to go back to the gospel consistently, 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 because by grace through faith you've been saved, right? You've heard this. Your righteousness is not your own, and this means that the purity required of you to see God actually has to come from God. The purity that you have to possess to be in the place of the Lord, to be in the blessed kingdom, has to come from God himself. That's what brings you to a place of true belonging. So remember the two groups that I mentioned at the beginning. This is good news for both of those groups, and I'm I'm willing to bet that every person in this room falls into one of those two groups at times. And this is good news for both of you. It's good news for the do-gooder who realizes they're actually more impure than they could possibly imagine. This was me in college. I carried with me a really bad relationship from high school, and I was totally a hypocrite in the way that I was living my life. I said, yeah, Jesus is awesome. He's my Lord and Savior, whatever, but I wasn't really living that out, and I was crushed by that when we broke up. It's just this classic, you know, young college student story. But one of the things that I realized is that being nice is not the same thing as being a Christian. And I I started to understand repentance. And I started to understand that my, my sinfulness was worse than I could possibly imagine. But then I started to see the beauty of Christ and his grace was bigger than I could possibly imagine. And so the mercy that Christ extended to me, I was grateful. I was grateful. I stopped saying, ah, I could just like act like I'm like a good person, be nice enough to my friends in my dorm, be nice enough to my parents, be nice enough to everyone. I could just like, I was free to just bring 
For example, I'm preaching the word of God at a church, and I've already said a few things that would sabotage my credibility. I'm not a perfect person. And if I was trying to portray to you that I was a perfect person to earn your trust, I've already blown it, right? Like I've already screwed up a lot in my life. But the good news is that I don't have to live into the standard of purity to make myself righteous in the eyes of God, to make me accepted by God and in his community. That has to come from Christ. And this is also good news for the disillusioned. Like some of you are, are just ready to give up. You're like, I don't, I don't even, I get what you're saying, Nick, but I'm just like not even trying that hard. Brothers and sisters, that is especially for you. The gospel is especially for you. You don't have to hold on to shame. You don't have to work to pull yourself up out of this dirty mess because Jesus became an impure, dirty mess for your sake. He took on all the crud, all the crud that you struggled your whole life maybe to try and stuff down and not become like, all that. Jesus took on that and died on the cross and that got nailed to the cross and killed. It's done. That no longer defines you. And that's what helps you free from not being driven by an anti-vision for your life. You're not a product of your parents, no matter how much you may struggle with your parents' sins. You're not that. That doesn't define you. Christ defines you. So, <laughs> this is more than punching a ticket to heaven. This is more than just like, okay, I'm part of this blessed community and one day God's gonna suck me up into heaven. What's the, what's the next part of the beatitude? Blessed are the pure in heart. Yes, I get it, by grace through faith. If I believe in Christ crucified, my sins are erased and killed and I'm, I'm no longer apart from God. But what's the next thing say? It says that they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Does this mean spectating? Because some, you could think of that as, well, I, I can catch a glimpse of him. What does that really mean, like see God? You will see God. Well, the seeing is not spectating. The seeing is a relational seeing. Seeing Jesus is knowing Jesus. And the righteousness of Jesus that makes you pure and holy and not only allows you into heaven, but it allows you into the presence of God. So long with me with the psalmist. The psalmist says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Oh, that's like right out of the Psalms. This is why we never move on from the gospel, because we never move on from Jesus. Christ, Christ is not only our righteousness at the moment of salvation, but he is also our ongoing righteousness and sanctification. There's this super great quote by this old pastor named Harold St. Beale. You guys have heard of sanctification, right? Sanctification is this journey of becoming. Journey of becoming more like Christ. Sanctification, this is what he says, sanctification, once again, is not what we do, but what God does to us through us. 
You don't become sanctified by doing good works. Rather, you do good works because you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Holy people lead holy lives, but holiness is not self-generated. It's not self-generated. That's huge. It is borrowed from God and received in proximity to his presence. In proximity to his presence. You will see God. So bringing it back to the beatitude, blessed are you impure of heart, naturally, under your own strength, because Christ has now become your purity. His spiritual presence in your life allows you to see a holy God, allows you to experience the relationship of beholding Christ and being near him. And this gives us hope. So you're wondering, like, what do I do with that? Hope. First John John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. There's this transformation, becoming, sanctification. We be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's strange, right? That should be strange language to you because your gospel-centered Ears should be perked up. Did he just say purifies himself? I thought Jesus purified me. Am I purifying myself? The interesting thing what's happening here is that the activity that we're participating in right now is we're hoping. We can't erase this future orientation. That's what we see in the, you are blessed right now because you are pure in heart because of the righteousness of Christ that has covered you. But you're also oriented to God with a hope that one day he will come and transform all of this. There will be no more, I'm just struggling through 2020 because of these things. There will be no more of that. Like, man, I'm just, this is the way I am because of my parents. There'll be no more of that. Jesus will restore all things when the king of glory comes in to fling open these doors and and open the shutters on the windows and he's like, I'm here. And you will be able to enjoy his presence fully, relationally, and renewed in every facet of your life because of the purity of Christ. Not because you abstained from drinking or whatever. So this is, this shift has to happen where we, where we see Jesus and his purity and we say, I want, I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be near to him. I want to be close to him. I want to see you. It's right to long and to yearn and we can't escape that. That is the way in which we are oriented to God in this life. He promises us his nearness through his spirit. But that spirit, oh, it groans in you. It groans in you, longing, expecting the redemption of your bodies. It's good to long for those things. So, uh, practical application for Matthew 5, 8. In response to the purity that Jesus gives you, you're pure. Just, I'm going to declare that over you. You're pure. You may have done some messed up stuff in your life. You may have not done some stuff in your life that you should have done. You are pure. Not because of you, but because of Christ. Now, what do you do? You see God. 
and you long to grow in the seeing. There's this verse, I didn't have this written down, but I was just thinking about it. Um, in 2 Corinthians, it's such a good verse. Paul is writing about this very idea. And it says that, so he's, he's longing to see God, not just to, be, not just to spectate, but to like experience God. And he says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So you want to know how to live your life in the blessed kingdom of God here and now is that you stick close to the presence of Christ. You long for it. You long to be near to him. In your prayer life, in your worship life here gathered together, we sing, we hear the word of God proclaimed, we take communion. We are longing to stick close to the presence of Christ. And that, the reason I, I guess I opened with the story about me hurting myself is because there is a way in which I can go about ministry in life where I am distant from God. I can talk a lot about God without seeing God. You know what I'm saying? I could tell you you should do certain things and not do certain things. Show up and serve in this way. Like, but I, but my, most of all, I want you to be in the presence of Christ because we are so needy and dependent for Jesus to provide us his power and his presence that gives us flourishing in life. So you're blessed. You're, you're in the good life the flourishing life, because you have Jesus. You have the presence of Christ in your life. <laughs> so, there, I mean, we could, we could probably do a whole sermon series on the purity of Christ, right? Sam could kill that. There's, I just want you to have one take, two takeaways. Because of the purity of Christ, number one, you belong to God. Deep belonging. But not only that, you belong to each other. And so in an age of divisiveness, um, disunity, all sorts of weird things that happen in this season of, of our life, especially with politics right around the corner. Your purity and holiness does not come from the party you support or an issue that you, you, you align with, with voting. Like, your purity comes from the blood of Christ that covers you. And so you can be unified together with God and with one another because of the reality that you're pure in Christ. And that's something that you just need to rest in. You still long to experience more of, and you still lean in. And so, that's it. I just want us to lean into that this morning. You join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, sink your words deep into our hearts. The foolishness that I said would just be gone, and all of the right things that you spoke through me would be sunk deep into our hearts this morning, that we would understand more and more of the significance of your presence, the significance that we belong to you, not, not, by what, not because we abstain from things or do certain things or whatever, it's because you died on a cross and took all of our yuck and our mess and all of the stuff that keeps us from you, you took it. And we now have a way in which we belong to you. So we are blessed. God, I pray that we would know that and treasure that and rest in that more this morning than we did last week or the week before or yesterday. Pray that we would continue to grow in that 
and that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.